There are a whole variety of ways to tell a story, to get your message across. Notice that <clears throat> a lot of um, films these days um, seem to depart from the telling of a story with a beginning, middle, and end. A lot of them um, use flashbacks and cut back and forward in time. Of uh, some, some very good ones I've seen where they, this happens, and then there's a wee bit going on over here, and there's a wee bit here, and you, you think they're completely unrelated, but there's a thread that emerges, and they all pull together. And now, whether you think these are a good or a bad way of telling a story, I suppose, is a matter of opinion. It's just that there's, there's more than one way to do it. And John, <clears throat> the Apostle John, is a bit of a, I think, a master storyteller, but also quite different. The other three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, followed a similar outline. <clears throat> they focused on Jesus' ministry in Galilee. And then there was a great turning point where Peter confesses that Jesus is a Messiah, the Son of God. And from that point, the focus turns on the journey towards Jerusalem and the death and resurrection of Jesus that's going to take place there. When John, who we think wrote his gospel later than the other three, when, when John wrote his gospel, it was quite different. He, he tended to organize the material around themes, um, <clears throat> particularly around the the great I am sayings of the gospel. So we have Jesus, for example, saying, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And that's tied up with the story of Lazarus being raised. Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. And that was tied up with the feeding of the 5,000. And so on. And then in his letter that we've been looking at these past few weeks, in his letter, well, John's a bit different again. He writes, <clears throat> themes come and go, they repeat and they double repeat. He writes variations on what he's already said, and then he writes variations on the variations. He returns to the subject matter he's mentioned before, but he kind of adds in a bit more. So that the whole thing's a kind of like a spiral kind of movement. It's, it's, moving, it's moving around, but each time it comes back to where it was before with a theme maybe about love or about faith, he, he says a bit more. And so it's kind of not exactly the same place. It's a bit higher up. And so it's, so it's going, and I think, we don't know exactly. We've not got John here to ask him. I think the richness of that is, is he's t showing how these different things work together, how these themes come and go on and blend, because the gospel is a whole truth. Now, whether it's his letter here that we've been looking at or whether it's his gospel, John didn't write with the purpose of entertaining us. He wrote to inform and to share, but he wrote with a goal in view that of leading us into fellowship with God. He says that back in verse 1 of 1 John chapter 1. This is, what we're, this is what we're, why we're telling you this, so that you might have fellowship with God. And he says the same in the gospel. Now in chapter 5, he comes back to the victory that there is in Christ because Jesus has overcome the world, verse 4. And because Jesus has overcome the world, verse 4, so too will Jesus' followers. John had learnt that message from Jesus himself. 
It tells us in the gospel in chapter 16, in this world, Jesus says to his followers, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome. That's the message. That's the glory of the gospel. And just as our overcoming rests on or depends on Jesus having overcome for us on our behalf, so too does our faith rest on what God has done, on who God is. Faith rests on God being faithful. That's what John is trying to say in this last chapter as he's leaving his readers. He said, look, I know it's going to be tough. There'll be persecution. There'll be sufferings. You're going to feel that you're very small. There's a whole big wide world out there. They're not going to be particularly open always to what you want to say and to share. You'll find many challenges, but cheer up. God has overcome. And if our faith is in God and not in ourselves then we can take confidence from that overcoming. So the faith, he says, is fixed, firm, firmly fixed on Jesus himself. And all of Jesus, not simply picking up one part. There was a <clears throat> meeting the week before last for, um, on behalf of the... Um, parliamentary group meet in Westminster, um, an all-party parliamentary group who, who work for freedom for people who are oppressed because of their faith and religion. They do it across the, the world and, and work with folks of many different faiths. They do a great work. So, at the meeting, there were representatives, folks who follow different faiths, and I was chatting to one um, guy after the um, meeting, and he was saying how he admires the teaching of Jesus and how that gets incorporated into his faith. We didn't have time to explore that fully in the one conversation there, but... Jesus didn't come to be a teacher in the first instance. The central thing about Jesus is not that he told great stories or that his parables were particularly good or that the Sermon on the Mount is particularly meaningful. When Jesus sits down to have the Last Supper with his disciples the night before he dies, he, he's not saying to the disciples, now remember everything I've told you. You know, do you remember that story about the Good Samaritan? Don't forget that one. Or do you remember that time when I was speaking to the woman at the well? Don't forget that. Don't forget what I said. You know, that's what you would expect a good teacher to be doing. Those of you who have, you know, sat your driving test, you know, the, your last lesson before you sat the driving test was a kind of going over everything. You Don't forget to look in your mirror before. Don't forget the blind spot. You know, that's what people do. The teachers emphasize and go over things before the test. And Jesus is not doing that at the Last Supper. He knows he's going to be leaving them. He knows the death's coming. And he's going to be leaving them, and he knows that. But he's not looking back. He's, what's he doing He's sharing a meal with them that's pointing forward to what's about to happen next. The bread is my body. The wine is my blood. <clears throat> that's what he's doing. And he's saying, this is what I want you to do in remembrance of me. He's not saying, go over all these lessons. Now, it's not that what he taught 
doesn't matter. It's not that what he taught is unimportant, but Jesus came into the world not to be a teacher, but to be a saviour. And that's what John's emphasising. He's saying when he speaks about the water and the blood, verse 6, it's a reference back to the cross, where when Jesus' side was pierced in the cross, and John tells us in his gospel in chapter 19, water and blood came out. Jesus overcomes, but he does that through his death on the cross for others. And so when he says faith should be fixed on Jesus, that's right. But it's the whole Jesus. It's all of Jesus. And it's Jesus with the emphasis that Jesus himself would give to the story. I can never understand the big deal about folks turning up for a service at Christmas and only at Christmas. I don't get that. Do you not realize that the baby grew up? And in the four Gospels, one-third of the material is, is devoted to the last seven days of Jesus' life. Should that not tell us something about where the emphasis is, where, where the importance is? The roads in the New Testament lead to Calvary, not to Bethlehem. The victory that overcomes the world is the saving death of Jesus and those who by faith cling unto the God who is made known to us in and as the one who died on the cross from us, these are the ones who share the overcoming, the victory of Jesus. Not through force, not through grabbing status, not through getting great wealth, but through trusting such a Savior who dies and sacrifices for others. And so our overcoming the world is not through doing mighty deeds, stupendous, jaw-dropping feats of greatness, but rather by faith, uniting us to Jesus, who not only lived the life of God for us, but also shed the blood of God for us. Faith must be focused on Jesus and the Jesus as he's given to us in the Gospels. Faith then, says John, secondly, comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. Faith is not a conclusion that is reached at the end of a long thought-out process of reasoning, nor is it something that's dependent on a kind of proof, scientific or philosophical. It is Spirit-given, verse 6. Now Jesus told his followers again that that's what the Spirit would do. And again, John has made that point in his gospel. Jesus said, John records it in chapter 14, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. It's the Spirit who does that. And so the message comes to us from God, verse 9. There's human testimony, but what we have through the Spirit is God's testimony, and that is greater. Now, we accept testimony all the time, don't we? Yeah? You, you, you see somebody, you say, what, what time is it? You trust them. Yeah, I'd be a bit lost, those of you without sat-navs. In fact, even sometimes those of you with sat-navs. Um, <clears throat> 
You're a bit lost and, and, you, and you stop somebody and ask for directions. You trust them. You, you, you tend it to. I remember once being stopped, um, a, a car pulled up um, in Glasgow. I was still, still in Glasgow at the time. And uh, there was four guys in the car rolled down the, um, the window and um, they were all wearing ranger scarves. And the previous day, Rangers, by some great stroke of luck, had, beat, had beaten Aberdeen in the League Cup final. <laughs> and uh, these, these, these were four English guys. This, this was uh, in the days when, you know, English, you know, Butcher and all these English people were playing. So there's four English guys and they, they asked for directions. <laughs> I said to them, I'm an Aberdeen supporter. I said, go to Newcastle and turn left. <laughs> but, but generally, when, you, when you're... Um, <clears throat> no, you stop someone and ask for directions. You, you just assume they're going to tell you the, the, the story, the truth, don't you? We, we, you know, which of, who of us gets on the train to go somewhere and then says, I better check that all the rails are there and walks in front of the train, making sure... You know, you get on the train and you trust that it's going to be okay. Now, if we, if we didn't do that, we would drive ourselves nuts. You would go crazy if you had to. I mean, you wake up in the morning, how do you know the speed of light's the same as it was yesterday? You know, we, we, have, we take all kinds of things in trust. It's not wrong to do that. It's a question of learning what you can and cannot trust. Now, what I was saying last week, those of you who are here, was there are important things where we need to check and we need to trust. And I was talking about the importance of checking things out. Um, and when I mentioned last week that I had to give some information to a bank on the phone to convince them that they could discuss matters to me, because I really am Gordon Palmer, and it's my account, my credit card that we're talking about, I gave them some bits of information that seemed to suggest that I was who I claimed to be. But the bank employee on the phone trusted that I was giving that information freely. She didn't know if someone was maybe standing behind me with a gun pointed at my head, making me say it. Well, that would be unlikely. That, you know, I wasn't giving her absolute proof, but she was going on the basis of what's most likely here. It's most likely here that this guy who phoned us is actually the guy who he claims to be, and since he's giving us these key bits of information, he, prob he probably is. Now, that, that's the way everything works. See, you'd drive yourself crazy if we couldn't go through life like that. So faith is... is not having the proof or the argument, but the joint point is that we can trust God because God keeps his word. And the witness of the Holy Spirit is that God keeps his word. And that this is testimony that we can rely on. Now, of course, there are other things that do shore up faith. Evidence about Jesus, his resurrection, and so on. But faith is not like working out a big equation and then getting the right answer and saying, look, there's the proof. Faith is much more like having the cataracts removed. It's the gift of becoming clear-sighted. I didn't get it before, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see, is in Newton's hymn, Amazing Grace. That's the gift of faith. 
And it is not something done by us, like the cataract operation. It is something given to us. Faith is only possible because the Holy Spirit of God makes the Word live. And says to us, this testimony is true. So while our thoughts and our reasoning are significant, no one will enter the kingdom of heaven because they've worked it out for themselves. We need that work of the Holy Spirit to help us see this is it. This is right. This is true. How else do you account for the fact that Jesus did the same things in front of people. He said the same teaching. He did the same miracles. People saw it. Some believed and some didn't. It wasn't that the ones who believed it were gullible. It was that the Spirit said, this, this is it. This is the testimony from God. So faith is fixed on Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. And it's about the Jesus that's revealed to us. Not a Jesus that we can make up. That faith comes to us through the, the Holy Spirit who makes the Word live. And that faith, thirdly, is for all of life and for all of living. John has made clear that we're saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. There's love coming with our faith. There's, there's obedience coming because faith. So loving God and obeying God are the fruits of faith. Verse 3, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. In verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are the children of God, and the whole world is under control. But we know and trust through our obedience. Now, John, in the, that final chapter, spells out some of the outcomes in the final verses. About prayer, verses 14 to 17. About avoiding sin, verse 18. About detachment from the world's attractions, verse 19. And about a growing awareness of God in our lives, verse 20 and 21. He's basically saying that life lived in fellowship with a holy God is a holy life. And all of life. And so our attitude to money, to possessions, to career ambitions, the television programs we watch, the conversations we have, the amount of alcohol we consume, the extent to which we encourage others, the readiness to serve other people, our willingness to speak up for truth, our concern for the voiceless, our refusal to gossip, sexual behavior, integrity in business deals, and much, much more, they're all under the compass of the Word of God. Because all of life is God's life, lived in God's world. And it can seem hard sometimes, can't it, that God is challenging us in these quite sometimes personal areas of our lives. And it's to be lived out in a world today that's very often hostile to Christian values and gospel. We get laughed at and misrepresented in the media pressed to conform to whatever seems to be right. John's answer is that it's not burdensome because God is with us and God is our sufficiency. That's the key thing he says. Faith is focusing on Jesus 
the whole Jesus. Faith is given to us through the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship. It's a, it's a living thing. We need the Spirit to, for it to come alive. And we need that faith then to issue in all of life service. But to do that knowing that ultimately it does not depend on us, but on God. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord. That's why we sung that. It's God's work. So who's holding on? That's the question I asked. When I'm um, with um, Anna, our granddaughter, and she's going down some steps, or when she's walking along the wall, I take her by the hand. And she grips my hand. But what's more important, her grip on me or my grip on her? She's two. What's more important then? Who's really doing the, the important bit, the key bit of the holding? Yes, we're both doing some holding. But it's my hold of her that's crucial. It's God's hold on his people that's crucial. How firm a foundation, you saints of the And it's saying about going through fiery trials and hurts and soreness. Nobody's saying these things don't exist. The Jesus and his followers were very honest about that. But saying that even when these things come, even when there is difficulty and danger, it is God's hold on us, God's gift of new life, God's gift of the Holy Spirit. It's God's gift as Jesus dying and rising for us. That's what matters. And no amount of illness or trouble or confusion or whatever else can change any of that. And it is through that Christ-focused, Spirit-led life that we best know God's care, God's provision, God's sufficiency in all things. Now, that's not the same thing as saying that everything works out the way that we want it to and when we want it to. But in Paul, Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. In all of these things, and that's the hardships he's just mentioned, in all of these things we are more than conquerors. Not apart from all of these things, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm convinced, he says. You convinced? I'm not saying you're good enough, I'm not saying if you worked it all out, have you got the, the formula there? I'm not saying have you got the philosophy all sorted out. I'm saying, are you convinced that God can do what God has promised? For I know whom I have believed, said Paul in 2 Timothy 1. And we sang that chorus. No, we haven't. We're about to sing that chorus. <laughs> I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able 
He's able. Not me. He's holding on. My grips compared to his is like a wee two-year-old's compared to an adult. That's quite nice in its own way, but it's not the key thing. God's got a grip on his people. You see, it's not so much great faith as faith in a great God. Is your God that great? John's written his letter so that you might see that's how great our God is. Have you seen that? Let us pray.